Uh, we're going to be continuing our series called It Is Finished. We started it about two, two or three weeks ago and talked about the, um, the inception of why study the, the cross. Why would we study the cross? You know, um, what are, what's the value of studying the value of the cross? And so we've been talking a little bit about that um, through a scripture in John 19.30. Just briefly, it says, when he had received the drink, talking about Jesus, he said, it is finished, and with that, he bowed his head, and he gave up his spirit. And so when Jesus said it was finished on the cross, there are volumes of implications behind that, and so often as believers, we've missed that. Um, in the Greek, he said one word, teleo, and the word meant it is finished and always will be finished. And so it's a beautiful testimony to the inheritance that God has given us in, in what happened on the cross, but most people forget to ask what it is, it, what's the it that is finished, right? And so that's kind of what we want to dig into. So let me just ask you a question. I know this is uh, something that's happened to me as well, but have you ever felt like um, that, you know, you became a believer and then you sinned and you're not really sure what happens when you've done that, right? It's like, okay, when I sinned, did I, did I lose my salvation? Did I lose some of it? Did, you know, if the line is here, did I get down and I'm skimming across the top of it, right? Or did I, at some point, because how deeply I sinned, did I go below that? And so it creates these questions of, uh, am I accepted? And so then that translates into things like, you know, I don't feel like I'm accepted. I don't feel like God loves me, even though I know the Bible says he does but I don't really feel like that's true. And so I cre it creates this struggle. And uh, that can go into relationships. That can happen between a husband and a wife, boyfriend, girlfriend, family. Um, I mean, we've had a lot of people over the last couple of weeks do Thanksgiving with their family and had several testimonies of reconciliation with family members, some of them for as long as 10 years that I hadn't spoken. I mean, just some really cool things as Karen was sharing about testimonies. And so we, we get into this place where, where this dysfunction comes into our families because we don't feel accepted. We don't... Uh, feel like we're understood. Sometimes we don't feel like people get us and on and on and on. Um, and oftentimes what happens is it creates this opportunity for us to say, well, you know, if it's so difficult, I may as well just not even try. And so then we have he these whole stretches of, man, I just can't even read my Bible. I can't talk to the Lord. I can't, if I come to church, I'm embarrassed. If, if people knew what I had done this week, they would, you know, they would be ashamed of me and they wouldn't talk to me and the list goes on. You find yourself giving in to things like fear and anger um, you fall into broken relationships, and oftentimes you self-sabotage relationships. Anybody ever done that? So it's, it, it happens. And you fall into things, especially for us guys, like sexual sin. And then if you've done that, then you're like, man, I keep falling into the same pattern of sin over and over and over again. So then you begin to question, am I actually even saved? Does God love me? Has he turned his face away from me? And those are really, really, really good questions. So I want to talk about that. Part of that is talking through what happened at the cross and what that actually means to you and I practically. So let me start with a passage in John, or sorry, 1 John. Um, and it's going to be, I didn't put it up here because I just want you to listen to it and hear it. So, it, you know, if you, if you struggle with distraction, maybe even close your eyes and listen to, to John tell this because it's not a letter written to people. This is actually one of the first recorded sermons from uh, believers in the early church. And so I'm going to start in verse 5. And this is, uh, this is John who was obviously a disciple of Jesus and talking about what he saw. He said, this is the message we've heard from him and declare to you that God is light. In him, there is no darkness at all. He goes on, he says, if we claim to have fellowship with him and yet walk in the darkness, we lie and we do not live out the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus, his son, purifies us from all sin. 
If we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. If we claim we have not sinned, we make him out to be a liar and his word is not in us. My dear children, I write this to you so that you will not sin. (laughs) He says, but if anybody does sin, right? Like he's talking to us now because we all know that's where we end up at some point. He said, if we, but if anybody does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous one. He is the atoning sacrifice for our sins and not only for ours, but also for the sins of the whole world. Now, there's so much in this that I could, we could explore and draw out, but let me just point out the fact um, he repeated something in that phrase or in that passage three different times. Did you catch it? He said, 1 John 1, 7, the blood of Jesus purifies us from all sin. And then verse 9, he will forgive us and purify us from all sin. And uh, verse 2 of the second chapter, Jesus Christ is the atoning sacrifice for our sins. And so there's this really interesting thing. One, he talks about sin in all three of those verses, right? So he's talking about there, there's, a, there's a challenge that you and I all have. And so the, the, the danger with us, especially if we've been in the church for a while, is we start to get numb to things that we hear a lot or see a lot. So how many of you guys use the word atone in the last week or so? Anybody? Some nerd? Any, some nerd who did it? Surely there's a nerd somewhere who did it. <laughs> Bible nerd. Um, what about sin? Right? Maybe. Maybe. Did you see it? Don't answer that question. Don't raise your hand. That's not helpful, right? But at some point, we would all agree, at some point during the last week, I probably did not hit the mark, right? Because that's kind of the definition of, of sin. We know that to be something that, that God says, this is what you ought to do, and then we end up not doing it. So it's either missing the mark of something we should do, or we should, we should be doing something we don't do. So it's the sin of commission or the sin of omission. You've heard this before. But what is sin? Right? So it's very, really interesting about this, this concept that, that John's talking about. He makes the assumption that everybody knows what this is. And so he's, he's painting a picture of, hey, listen, if you, if you say you don't have this, you're a liar. And basically what he's saying, if you think, if you are in the delusion that you think you haven't sinned, he's like, you really need to go see a therapist at some point, right? It's like, because we all know we have missed the mark in some form or fashion, and and we we haven't hit what God intended for us. But this concept of what is it that that sin occurs, so we know the story of the Bible, Genesis, you know, it's a perfect scenario. God creates humanity in chapter 3. You see the fall occur, and sin enters into the picture. So Jesus, you know, God doesn't create sin. It says in the beginning there was the there was heaven, there was the heavens and the earth, and sin. It doesn't say that. It wasn't in the beginning. God was happy with the world that he had created. And something about what you and I did in the picture of Adam, Adam just means human, right? This just translates literally to humanity or human, the first human. And so all of us have fallen short of the glory of God. In other words, we've decided to go our own separate way. We have ignored who God is and who he says he is and what he says we should do, how we should have a marriage, how we should raise our kids, how we should have a community, how I should treat other people. So it starts out with my, my personally, something I do that like, you know, Cain and Abel. So he, he, Cain, 
Cain, he, he kills his brother. And so this personal sin starts with this anger towards his brother to the point where it builds resentment, and then he actually takes his brother's life, right? And then, so now that creates a community now where tension has been created in Adam's family. How would you like to have been at Thanksgiving after that event, right? It's like, so Cain, where's your brother? No, it's not my responsibility to know where my brother is. He can take care of himself, right? And so it's like there's this massive tension that begins to occur. And then as communities grow and men and women sin over and over and sin against one another, then the tension grows from personal sin against one another to sinfulness in a family until sinfulness into a community and into regions and into nations. And then sin covers the whole world as we know it. And so all the brokenness, it's, that's the easiest question when people come and go, you know, if God's so good, then explain to me why those, all this brokenness in the world. I'm, I'm like, man, if you're a Christian and you understand your Bible, that's the easiest question in the world to answer, right? And it's, it's, it's prophetic in the sense that let's talk about where you fit into that story. Have you contributed to this mess that we're all in? And the answer is, of course we have. And so John's preaching to some people who are believers. Some of them are believers, some of them are not. And he's talking about there's this vandalism that's occurred in the world that now has created sin. Everywhere you look, selfishness reigns. People do their own thing. They ignore God. And because of that, it's created now a tension, not just between all of us, but a tension between us and the God who loves us and wants good things for us, right? So it creates the garden, and it's perfect. And then our sinfulness begins to mess up everything about society. So we bring it upon ourselves ultimately. And then he talks about Jesus' blood. So the blood, we talk about this, that in the economy of the kingdom, the only thing in the economy of the kingdom is blood. It's not about sorry sacrifices. Eventually, the Bible says that God grew tired of the sacrifices that Israel would bring because he said, you're, you're just using the sacrifices as an excuse for not doing what I've called you to do, what I want you to do. So the law is given to show this is what is, is necessary for you to do to be in right standing with me. And we know, of course, that, he, that nobody could, could live up to it. And so the law was never designed, the rules and regulations, never designed to save you or rescue you. It's to point out the fact that you can't do it yourself and you need a Savior, right? We talked about that a little bit last week. So he says that it, the blood of Jesus is like shorthand for the work of the cross. So the blood, when he starts talking about blood, everybody around there knew and understood what he meant. But this is what's really interesting about you and I, you know, removed 2,000 years in time and a separate culture. We don't understand so often the references of the Bible. So we hear atonement and we sort of know what it means, but sort of knowing what it means doesn't really know what it means, right? It's like there's so much, so limit, so much limitation. But he says, he says three things. It purifies us. He said his blood, what he did on the cross, his shed blood, perfect blood, it, it purifies us, it forgives and purifies. It's an interesting, we're going to get into that. And then he says, really interesting, he says it's an, it's an atoning sacrifice. And so atonement is a really interesting word. It's, a, it's the English word for a Greek translation of, uh, of a word called, let me just kind of read it out, it's holosmos. He is the, and this is, you see it in verse 2, he is the atoning sacrifice, or this Greek word, the translation into English would be atonement. He is the atonement for our sins, and not only ours, but also for the sins of the whole world. So he's saying whatever this atonement is, is really, really, really important. So you should understand it. The challenge is we often are trying to live in a language, in a world in a language that is so far removed from us that we don't understand the language, but we pretend we do. So let me just tell you a quick story. I was in um, uh, Mexico preaching at a friend. We had a friend who was a missionary down there, and he had a Bible school. And so we're preaching to about 
20 or 30 uh, brand new Bible students who felt the call of God on their life. Their whole world's turned around. You know, they're heading into the call of God in ministry. And uh, I go to greet them, and I try something in Spanish that I should have left alone, if you know what I'm saying. And so I said it, and when I did, I could see their faces that whatever I said was really, really bad, right? And so when I said it, my friend Lee was sitting over here just super excited for what I had to say that, that morning, but no more. Like, he jumped up, and he said, ho, 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 ho. He said, Dave, um, leave Spanish to me. <laughs> he, said, he said, I will translate for you. Most of these guys understand English. We're really close to America, so it's okay. Just stay away from that. So later on, I asked him what I said, and he said, dude, you literally dropped the F-bomb in your introduction in our Bible, Bible school. I'm like, I'm, I'm going to tell that story for the rest of my life in shame, right? Because I tried language that I sort of knew, but didn't. So there, there's these aspects of this word atonement that we so miss all the time. So if you were going to pick the best word, this atonement is a good translation into the English, but in a lot of ways it leaves some things out. It's kind of like love. You know, the word love in the Greek is each time you see the word love, it has three to four possible meanings of love. Like we do that in English through context, right? I love my dog. I love my wife. I love my truck. Well, that's a country music song, but you kind of get my point, right? So we use, we use the, the, the language words in context, but often in the Greek, it's very, very specific. But sometimes it takes whole phrases to, to make the English make sense. And so another word for this is cover. And so um, let me kind of give you maybe a, a, an illustration that's helpful. Let, um, I went to lunch. Uh, I go to lunch sometimes with my friend, Alan Mitchell. And, uh, and most of the time, you know, we'll, we'll just do separate checks. Every once in a while, we'll pay for one another and do that competition thing, right, that friends do. And so it, it all equals out in the end. But one day I was going to pay for him. So I made, I kind of made a big deal of it. It's like, no, I got you, man. I'm going to cover you today. I got you, you know, order anything you want. I'm, you know, I'm generous. And then I reach back for my wallet and it's not there. You ever do that? <laughs> And then I'm like, I made such big promises that, you know, what I was going to do. And then I'm like, uh, Alan, I have to kind of eat some crow. I'm like, hey, brother, could you, could you help a brother out? And he's like, sure, man. He goes, I said, I am so sorry. He goes, I totally forgive you. Right. And so now the, the guy comes with the check and Alan's like, oh, hey, it's okay. My friend forgot, he forgot his wallet, but I forgive him. And our, our, you know, our server's like, I don't care. It's like, <laughs> I could care less about your relationship issues. He goes, here's the check. Who's going to cover it? Right? And so now there's a difference between just forgiveness. And this is why it's so important to understand what, what's happening at the cross. We know Jesus forgives us. You've heard it a billion times. You know it's true. But do you know what it means and what the implications for you in how you live out your life? Because it matters in ways you can't even begin to understand. It matters to your kids. How you raise your kids. Do you raise your kids in an environment of grace and forgiveness? Or do you raise them in an environment of merit and you better step up? And I'm, I'm, if I'm honest, I'm always disappointed in you. And, you know, you can do that. Different. You can do it in relationship with your spouse. You can just constantly be looking at them with disdain. And you're like, I don't even know where this comes from, but it's pretty deep-seated. And probably we should see a counselor, right? But we're not going to do that because we're good. We're fine. Maybe you're not fine. But that's the challenge is if we don't understand this, we take parts of the cross and we apply them to our life, but there are whole parts of the cross that are left unapplied. And so this concept of covering is, is it comes along to someone has, when it's all said and done, 
the offended party. You know, um, I promised I was going to do this. You see this with Israel on the day of, uh, that, that the law was given. They stood up and declared, we will do everything written in the, in the law. I will pay for dinner. Order anything you want, right? It was such arrogance. And then it came time for the reality of it, and they realized, you know what? I, 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 don't, I can't even cover myself, let alone anybody else. And so it turns out I need someone else, not just to forgive me for what I've done wrong, but to absorb the consequences for my sin, for me missing the mark, for, for what I did wrong. And maybe I, just, I didn't mean to do it, but, you know, I, I did it. But now let me, let me kind of take that illustration a little further. What if every week from then on out that I'm having lunch with Alan, I play that same game where I forgot my wallet? Anybody have a friend like that? Are you that friend? Don't do that. Just <laughs> I forgot my wallet, but it happens every week. And after a while, you know, Alan's gracious and he's generous and he's kind. But at some point he's going to go, well, he's, he's going to be honest. So he's going to talk to me way before I, I, you know, I need it. He's going to say, hey, listen, you know, this is becoming a pattern, right? So I'm happy to forgive you. I'm happy. I love that. But can we talk about what you are doing on a regular basis now has created tension in this relationship. And that needs to be discussed and talked about and dealt with. So who's going to do it? Right? Well, if I don't have the ability to do it myself, which in this case, there's some, you know, the, the illustration begins to break down because I can do something about that. But in the context of sin, I can try to do right all I want, but it never takes away the fact that I have already done wrong. Right? So James says, if you offend in one aspect of the law, you have broken them all. Because the, the problem isn't I'm trying to do 98%. The problem is the necessary standard is absolute perfection because God is sinless, right? And we are sinful. And so when we come to him, we can't expect that he's going to just receive us because he's holy. So why does John use this word? He uses this word about a cover and an atonement. But there are plenty of, you know, Val gave this testimony about she lives in finance world. So there's some really, really good words, finance words, about like reconciliation and payback, some really good Greek words that, he, that John could have used and he didn't. What he did was he used something about the sacrificial system that had occurred in Israel for the last, you know, 1,000 or 2,000 years. He, he was bringing something up that has symbology that mattered, and it was, he was very specific about what he was doing. He talked about this concept. Of, of atonement and what, what the Bible, what we're going to get into today, which is propitiation. It's a big theological word. It, most of them end in T-I-O-N, which means a state of being. So to, to propitiate, right? What does that actually mean? So we talked last week about expiation, and today is propitiation, and there's reconciliation, there's justification, there's a bunch of shuns when it comes to the end of this, right? So what is propitiation? So this is a simple definition. It's the work that Jesus did on the cross where the wrath and the retribution of a holy God were spent against Jesus so that God could show complete mercy and favor to those of us who are in Christ, and here this last part, without compromising. See, this is what's really big about this whole thing about propitiation. It's not enough to just to say, hey, your sins are forgiven. The question is, is what do we do now about the offense that has occurred? All of the sin of all of the world for all of time was placed on Jesus, right? So this is the picture. It wasn't just enough for God to say, oh, it's no big deal, your sin. 
It is a big deal because sin has consequences and it hurts people. It, it, it violates, it vandalizes the relationship. It vandalizes the environment that we live in in our cities and in our country. We're all experiencing that right now with the whole thing about racism and all these other issues. And the answer to all that is, is not passing some aspect of legislation because you can't legislate the human heart, right? The human heart has to change, and this is what Jesus is all about. So let me read this passage in Romans, and this is really, go back and study this. This is Romans chapter 3, verses 25 and 26. It's talking about Jesus. It said, God presented him as a sacrifice of atonement. There's that word again, only this word is the noun, and it's the same noun. It's found in Hebrews that talks about the cover over the mercy seat, and I'm going to get to that in just a second. So he says, God presented him as a sacrifice of atonement, through faith in his blood, he did this to demonstrate his justice. Now listen, this gets confusing, and I want to bring it out. He says, because in his forbearance, he had left the sins committed beforehand unpunished. What does that mean? That up until that moment, up until Jesus died on the cross, the sins of humanity had not been punished. Had they been punished, we wouldn't be talking right now. Right, Because the judgment of God would have come on just like in Noah's day that God withheld judgment for one family, right? but he brought it upon the whole earth and it was righteously judged. They deserved what came to them. right? We all deserve. We know we deserve this. And yet God withheld his judgment on at least one family in Noah's day and then all the way up through to the time of to time of Christ, he's withholding his judgment. He says, he goes on, he says, because in his forbearance he had left the sins committed beforehand unpunished. Verse 26, this is why he did it. He did it to demonstrate his justice. So here's, it, here's the thing, is God can't, he can't have mercy on you, but at the same time not have the sin paid for, right? Because he's holy. He's, he's, he's an, a God of integrity. That means he's whole, Right? So he can't just go, it's okay, because it's not okay. The sin cost somebody something, and it created a tension between God and us, and so something has to be done about it. He said it, he did it to demonstrate his justice at the present time, and here's, here's the big kicker in this scripture. He says, so as to do two things, to be just and the one who justifies those who have faith in Jesus. Because here's, here's why this matters practically. If, if you don't hear anything else, hear this. You... you, you you come to Jesus, you recognize forgiveness, you say, Lord, thank you for forgiving me of my sin, right? And so if you understand it, you're saying, Lord, you've forgiven me for sin as a noun, right? All of sin, the sin condition that I'm in because of Adam, I was born into sin, right? Even before I sinned, I had sin already in me because it came from Adam. And then at some point, I had committed sins that proved that sin lived inside of me, right? So at some point, all of us said, you know, like I, I stole a candy bar or I told a lie. And I remember at some point, this mindset of, oh, that was wrong, but secretly, hopefully nobody finds out about it, right? And so he's saying, I can't, I, can't, I have to be just but also have to, I want to be the one who justifies. So to get back to the analogy of sin creating this, this tension in environment, this vandalism in relationships, in our cities, in our communities, sin, we sin against one another constantly, and we're selfish, and we're angry, and, and we do terrible things, right? We see this all the time. Even as believers, we find ourselves like, why am I doing that? That's not my heart to do that, right? But sin, sin occurs. And so now, what do you do with what this has created in our world, right? Because it... For God to be just, he has to punish the sin. He has to destroy the sin, right? So we cry out, God, be just. Well, I can't believe this guy went into a school and did this. I can't believe this is happening. So we cry out for justice, 
And there's this little twang inside the back of our heads that said, be careful doing that. <laughs> right? Because you're about to throw a rock at a glass house when you live in a glass house. It's a bad idea, right? So we, 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 even us, we long for justice, but we also know somewhere inside of us we're, all, we're not justified either if we're not in Christ. And so this cover, he's talking about this atoning cover, is, is, was the picture of the Ark of the Covenant, the mercy seat, the place of propitiation. Hebrews 9, 5 says, above the Ark there were cherubim of the glory overshadowing the atonement cover, that same word that he used just now in Romans chapter 3. He says, but we cannot discuss these things in detail now. Hebrews goes back and he talks about the Jewish customs and he talks about high priests and he talks about all this stuff that when you read it, your brain just glosses over because when's the last time you talked to the high priest, right? And so if you're not careful, you hear and see the symbology and the language of our faith and you gloss over it and you miss the importance of it and therefore you don't live out what has been made available to you and I. And that's the danger is, you know, we had these words this morning about the inheritance that God has made us, and, and Val shared, I, I love it, that on death, it, the, every bit of the inheritance is, is translated to you immediately. That is the new covenant. That's the new testament. Testament is, is the will, the last will and testament of Jesus the Christ, Jesus the anointed king, that he has an inheritance for you. But if you don't receive, if you don't know how the inheritance works, guess what? The enemy will come and de- deceive you, and you ask the question he did in Genesis, did God really say? And if you don't know, guess what's going to happen? You're going to go, you know, I don't, I don't know if that's actually available to me. So it gets us in trouble. So Jesus demonstrate his great love for us, right, in his death on the cross. But it did something, and it took upon himself the wrath of God that was due us. So God found a way in the cross to not just to forgive us, but also to maintain his own moral integrity because it wasn't just forgiveness, but the price was paid in full. Jesus absorbed all of the wrath of God for all of the sin that had occurred before. Because remember in Romans, he said, in his forbearance, God did not judge humanity yet for the sin that they had incurred. So on the cross, Jesus takes all of the wrath of God against the sin of everybody in humanity that had lived before him, including Cain, who killed his brother Abel, right? All of the brokenness he took upon himself. On that day, he looks to the, to the Roman soldiers and says, forgive them, Father, for they, do, they don't know what they do. And I remember reading that and going, of course, they were soldiers. They did it every single day, all day long. They knew what they were doing. But what Jesus was saying, they don't understand the implications of what's happening right in front of them. The Jewish leaders, the religious people of the day were standing face to face with the Son of the living God and could not see Him. That amazes me, and and, and I get mad at them, but then I see that potentially in me, that I I read it in Scripture, and I'm face to face with Jesus in the Bible, and I can't even see Him. And so it challenges me to want to study and understand, but not just study and understand, but receive what God has given me. So God's holy character is not compromised in forgiving you of your sins, Because Jesus absorbed the wrath that was due you, right? It's a beautiful picture. So propitiation at the cross is the removal of God's wrath against me so that now I can live in Jesus' favor, right? That it now comes to me. So let me just give you some context. I mentioned the sacrificial system uh, about the animals being used as a substitute. We kind of know this. But there were a couple of types of propitiation in that sacrificial system. The first one was um, burnt offerings. I'm going to keep this short because I want to get to the next one. Burnt offerings were one of the what was called the probationary sacrifices of Israel. They had, they had, offer, they had sacrifices every morning and every evening. Every single day, sacrifices were, were occurring. 
The, the animal, they would bring a bull, a sheep, goats, turtle dove, or a pigeon based on your socioeconomic scenario. So if you were a poor person, like when Mary comes, uh, Joseph and Mary, they don't offer a bull. They offer a turtle dove, right? So they're, 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 they're not wealthy. But what they would do is they would lay their hands on this animal and, and move your sins, remove your sins from you, put it on them, and then the animal would be burnt completely up. The picture of it is the symbolism was fire, is that the fire and the wrath of God was consuming the life of this animal on your behalf. That was the picture every single morning and every single evening they saw this, right? So again, very uh, vivid picture of a type of propitiation. But the second one was called the Day of Atonement. So the Day of Atonement is the clearest picture of what happened with Jesus on the cross. And it is no accident that constantly throughout the New Covenant, this gets referred to. So the danger is, again, if you don't study your Bible, if you don't read, the Bible says in Timothy, uh, you know, the, about the Word of God, it's a two-edged sword, right? It's powerful because it, it cuts to the bone and marrow. It gets to the source. It gets to the, to the inner person. It, it goes after the subtleties in our life, right? Because we get saved and we're like, I put away uh, wrath and I put away malice. And I, I, I seems like I get my life together. I quit smoking. I quit cussing. You know, I, keep, I quit running with people who do that, right? I do all, so I'm hanging out with church people now who may be as sinful as the guy just left. But, you know, at least he was honest about his crack habit, right? So I'm, I'm, that's kind of what we find. We find religion and, and the world often are doing the same thing, but the picture they play is, is different because, again, they don't understand what happened at the cross and they haven't made use of it. So here's this picture. So we talked about it last, last week. Two goats were chosen on this day. There was still a morning sacrifice and evening sacrifice, but these two goats were brought before one of them we talked about last week was expiation, where the sins of Israel were placed on the goat and it was sent out into the wilderness away. The sin was taken away from the, from the people, right? But what would happen on the other goat is the goat would be killed and life was given. The sacrifice of this goat's life was given on behalf of the people of Israel, right? So what he would do is the high priest would make atonement for himself, his family, the other priests, and then he would make atonement for the people of Israel. What he would do is he'd take the blood of the goat, and he would go in, and so I'm going to give you a, a, just a quick picture of what the Ark of the Covenant looked like. And so you can see this. There's two angels represented cherubim were, called, were angels that looked down on the mercy seat. So the top half of the, or top part of that mercy seat or top part of that Ark was called the mercy seat or the cover. That's what it was called, the cover. So when, when John and when Peter and when Paul and, and James, all of them, when they reference atonement, you see this picture of the ark. And when, when he talked about the, the cover of atonement, right, at one moment, something has to absorb the wrath of God so that the relationship is no longer in tension and you can come before the Lord justly. Not, I'm, I'm slipping in because maybe he doesn't know what I've done, Right? Or it's okay, he forgives everybody, so it's not, my sin's no big deal. No, your sin's a big deal, right? And so much so that the wrath of God was poured out on his son for your sin and for my sin. So this, this mercy seat, on top of that, that covered the, the Ark of the Covenant, right? And they would carry around, and this represented the, the, the very presence of God in Israel. So in the tabernacle, they had this in the center of the camp. And, and from this holiest of holy things, the mercy seat of God was the center of God's holiness. His perfection and everything he did, the center of it was called the mercy 
seat. It was the throne on which God would sit symbolically amongst his people, right? He would come back into the center of his people again and walk with them in the cool of the day. But because of their sin, they couldn't come into his presence. So only one day a year, a priest would come in after he'd made atonement for himself, his family, and the priest. He would come in and he would sprinkle the blood on top of that mercy seat. You can't see it, but he would lean over it and he would sprinkle it seven times. He would once up toward the Lord and seven times on the top of this mercy seat. And so why does that matter? Why, why is that at, at important at all? So look in, if you can see in the bottom right corner of this picture up here, you see the contents of the, the Ark of the Covenant. And this is incredibly important, so don't miss it. I'm, I'm, I'm belaboring the point, but if you get this, you will not walk out, out of here this morning the same person, I promise you. So in that, in that Ark was the rod of Aaron, right? And so the picture, the rod of Aaron is, was his his authority. He walked with authority. And when that occurred the first time, the children of Israel, there was a couple of people who said, we don't want Aaron. We want somebody from our own tribe to be the priest because it was a pretty important role. And so God says through Moses, um, take the, the, everybody, all the representatives, take your, your staff, stick it in the ground. And then tomorrow, whichever staff has buds on it and fruit on it, that is the staff of the person that I have put in charge to lead as the high priest, right? My choice, not your choice, my choice. And so that rod the next day not only had leaves, but it had almonds on it. And so, so they took that rod and they put that in there. So what did it represent? It represented the people's rejection of God's appointed leadership, right? So you see the picture of this. And then the second thing that was in there was the golden pot of manna. And so when they came out of Israel and they needed, they were hungry Every day, the manna, the bread of angels, they called it, would be poured out on the ground, and they would just gather it. They was, it was just the provision of the Lord. And on the, on the Sabbath, the day before the Sabbath, they, they were supposed to gather twice as much, but they didn't. And so then they were hungry for a day, and they would grumble and complain because he wasn't providing for them. <laughs> right? And they grumbled so much at one point, they were like, we want meat. We want what everybody else eats. We don't want what you're doing. We want meat. So God floods them with meat till they got so sick they couldn't stand meat. I don't know how that's possible because I'm a meat eater. <laughs> but I imagine if I ate it every single day forever, I would probably get tired of it too. Probably not. But if you're from Texas, you definitely wouldn't. But the, the last thing was this. It was the Ten Commandments. And this one is big. Because in the Ten Commandments, well, let me get back to the golden pot of manna. It, re, it represented God's, or the people's rejection of God's provision from himself. His choice of how he was going to provide, not your choice. So often we get mad at God because he's not doing it our way, right? So the last one was the Ten Commandments. And they symbolize the people's rebellion against God's standard. So we know about that. That he comes down and rather than serve God, they make for themselves their own God. This was a problem constantly throughout the people of Israel. And it was a type and a shadow of what we all do. We can make church our God. Dear Lord, we may trump our God. How sad is that? right? <laughs> the, the, not just Republicans, Christian Republicans. He's like, he's like the Messiah. He's not he, at all. I, I love a bunch of the stuff that, that Trump did, right? I love some things that Biden is doing. Not a lot, but some, right? But, but the issue is you have to make a decision about who is actually God and how is he doing. So I pray for Biden, right? Because I pray for the appointed leadership that God has given us. Now, I, I don't like it, and I would like a lot of changes, and come my day when I can make that choice and I can choose something differently, le legitimately, I'm going to do it, right? And, and you should too. You should, you should vote accordingly. But when God appoints something, when God decides to do something a certain way, so often we put God's up in his place. And so why is this important? Look at those two angels again and what they're doing. They're looking down 
into that ark. And every time they're doing it, they were representative, representative traditionally of righteousness and justice. And so every time when, they, when righteousness looked down upon God's perfection in what he had provided and Israel's imperfection and rebellion, it faithfully, righteousness faithfully recorded Israel's many transgressions and testified to how far they had fallen short. So this was what was happening year by year, that the, the, the shortcomings, the missing the mark, the sins, the brokenness of the people were represented right there in the ark all the time. They were ever before righteousness and judgment. And judgment will look down and say, wrath needs to come upon them because look how far they've fallen from God's intended purpose, right? You see the parallel is what that looks like with us. So the high priest would bring that blood in and he would sprinkle it over the top of that cover, that atoning cover. Now, why was that so important? Because when the blood was sprinkled over the top of that, righteousness and judgment could no longer see the imperfection and the brokenness of God's people. The kindness of God in his provision, in his leadership, in his, in his standard, in his perfection. Everything that was good about him was sorely misjudged and rebelled against by the people of God. And that's what righteous and judgment, righteous and justice looked on every single day until the blood was sprinkled over the top of it. And then the only thing righteousness and justice could see is the perfect blood of a perfect sacrifice. And righteousness and justice were fulfilled in Jesus. And all of that happened at the cross, not symbolically, but actually for you who are in Christ. God is just in what he's done. Not because he just swept your sin underneath uh, the, the proverbial carpet, but because someone said, I am willing to pay the whole price for everything that has ever been done wrong or ever will be done wrong. What do you do with a God like that? Right? I'll tell you what the enemy does. He misrepresents him constantly. And if we're not careful, what you and I do is we ascribe to God the things of the enemy, or ourselves, right? We ascribe to God, instead of his goodness, we say things like, you know, people who don't know God will say, I can't believe in a God who gives children cancer. Well, buddy, neither can I. Do you want to talk about it, or you just want to sit in your piousness and, and feel good about yourself, right? Because we know better. Because in his, oh, we need to get, cancer, get, get rid of cancer in kids, he doesn't say anything the fact that he looks at pornography on a regular basis and fuels an industry that destroys young women and young men and eventually even prostitutes children. And God cares more about your sin than you do because God's not just after that industry and trying to destroy what we nicely call sexual, you know, sex trafficking. It's just easier to say that than the other thing I said. Not only does God want that industry to be done away with, he looks at your heart and he says, you know what I want to do? I want to deal with your lust. Because what would happen today? Pornography is a massive, massive industry. What would happen today if every single person who was looking at pornography just stopped? Where would it go? I can tell you this, there won't be any money for it, so it's not going to happen. It's just not. And see, that's the part that we forget, the part that I play in what has been brought to bear on the vandalism of our world in what we call sin. 
And so we all are guilty. Let me just read these, these few passages as I close. This is John 3, 36. I know this is heavy, but the good news is coming, I promise. <laughs> You've already heard it, actually. John 3, 36. He who believes in the Son has eternal life, but he who does not obey the Son will not see life, but the wrath of God lives on him. In other words, it's waiting. And see, the picture of the, of the Ark of the Covenant and the mercy seat was the, the covering covered the sin for just a year until the sin built up again and all that righteousness and justice could see was the brokenness of humanity until the blood was sprinkled one more time. And then Jesus, on the day that he died on the cross, the Bible says that the skies went dark for three hours. Why? Because the wrath of Almighty God was poured out upon him. All of it. All of it was poured out. And and it was too much probably for humanity to even see. But Jesus bore it all on your behalf, right? And when he finished, when it was all done, when all of the wrath of all time, of all sin, for all people, including you you and me, was spent on Jesus, this is what he says. It is finished. And then he laid his life down. Nobody took it. He offered himself as a sacrifice. He He knew what it was. And he wanted to do it. Why? Because what was on the other side of it was reconciliation, brokenness, all of the stuff that kept you from being in the presence of the Father who loved you, walking with you in the cool of the day. All of that, all of the wrath was spent on his son, and there's none left for you. So if you feel guilty, but Dave, you don't understand. I've been fighting this particular sin since I became a believer. Do you hear yourself? Have you been fighting it? Good. That's a good sign, right? That means you know you shouldn't be doing it. You know it's not right for you. You know you weren't made for it. So what, is that? what happens? Well, I can't come before God for help because I'm, I'm violating his commands. See how we put ourselves back under the law? I'm breaking the commandments of God. I'm doing injustice. I'm, I'm sinning. I'm missing the mark. And then the question is, well, what do you do about that? How should you feel about that? And there, here's the dilemma. I know I deserve the wrath of God. So what I do is I I give myself the wrath of God. I self-sabotage relationships. I I turn my eyes away from God and I can't look at Him. I can't look at Him at all, let alone with confidence, right? But if you get this, if you understand this, all of a sudden, when you sin, John goes on to say, when you sin, you have an advocate with the Father. Another passage says, He ever lives to make intercession for you. Now listen, if you don't understand this concept about grace, then guess what you do when you hear that passage? You, you build a religion around yourself. There's one already exists, a bunch of them like this. But you build a religion around yourself that says, God's angry with me, even though he said what I'm going to do on the cross is so that I, can, I never have to be angry with them again. So he's saying to you, if you receive Jesus, if you receive in faith what he's done, I'm never going to be angry with you again. But that doesn't make sense because you know you, you, should, you should receive the anger of God, right? But when you understand the anger of God, the anger that God had toward your sin was completely spent on Jesus, there's none left for you. Then what is left for you? What is now your inheritance if your inheritance isn't wrath? And the answer is it's favor. It's the kindness and the goodness of God. So what do you do now? You lean into that favor and you walk in the favor. And something inside your heart says, I know I don't deserve it. What kind of God would do this? And the answer is the kind of God 
who loves you implicitly, who gave himself for you, and the whole point behind it was he wants you, right? He wants you. So let me finish with this last scripture. This is Romans 5, 9. He says, since therefore we have now been justified by his blood. Remember, blood was shorthand for what happened on the cross. All the sacrificial system, when they read this, it's like when I see the, the Nike logo, it means a lot to me. It doesn't have to say words, right? It means a lot to me. When they read this, all of the implications of blood and the sacrificial system and the atonement, they understood this. And so when in Romans, when Paul says, we have now been justified by his blood, much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. So here's, here's how I want to leave you this morning. If you get this and you understand this, how should you then live? If, you, if someone comes and says, hey, I paid your, I paid your car off for you. <laughs> You're like, I don't need any help. I'm fine. Pay my car payment myself. Do you think the car payment company is going to send your money back? <laughs> they're, they're like, he keeps sending us extra money. I'll, I'll find a place to put that, right? And so if you want to try to pay, the, the enemy's happy to continue to misrepresent God and tell you that you should. But at some point, understanding this, this truth leads you to a place where when the enemy comes and he tries to offer you something that is the wrath of God upon humanity, the consequences of our sin. We had a friend who prayed for somebody this was up in Greenville a couple of months ago, and they prayed for a guy who had lung cancer, and he had cigarettes in his pocket, and God healed him of lung cancer. So when you see that, what do you say? That's not fair. You're right. It's not, and that's the point. It's not about that. It's about God loves you so much that he's willing to bear. That's what grace means. He's going to bear with you until you, until you see him accurately to the point where the Bible says grace teaches us to say no to sin. The law commands us and says thou shalt not, but grace says I want to teach you why sin is not right for you, why you should let it go, and why you should lean into what God is doing in your life. And when we see this picture, we recognize that I have been saved completely and utterly from the wrath of God. How now do you pray? When you come before the Lord and say, Lord, I, I mean, we pray for, I mean, just practically, we pray for people who are sick, right? And we want to trust God for healing. And we beg God to heal someone, right? We act as if we want their healing more than Jesus does. You see how it works, how the enemy subtly gets into how we live this out. So now when you pray, you can pray boldly, right? You can come before the Lord and you can ask for things you don't deserve. Now let me just say this. We, we get it. People are going to ask for things when you say to your son, I want to bless you. And he says, okay, I would like to eat candy every day for breakfast, lunch, and dinner until I die. Well, like, well that's going to be a week, so you can, but right? But if you're a good father, are you going to do that? Of course not. But your heart is, I want to show him I'm generous. I don't want him to take advantage of it. But I'm not going to stop loving him because he's, he's misusing what I have given. Remember the son, prodigal son, he gives his inheritance and he wastes it. And in that son's mind, he had spent all of God's inheritance and he's coming back as a servant. So often, that's what you and I live as, servants of the Most High God. When he's called us sons, and even more, he's called us friends. So today, this week, what are you going to do different now that you know all of the wrath of God was, was not, there's none available for you because it was all spent on Jesus? How are you going to pray? 
Will you pray an audacious prayer that you don't deserve? Will you pray from a heart that is, I want to honor the cross. I want to honor what Jesus did on my, my behalf. And praying bold, audacious prayers is honoring the cross. You see it. So this week, what, how will you live? What will you do differently? How will you see yourself? Will you stop putting yourself down? Will you, instead of turning away from God because you feel like you don't deserve His mercy and His kindness and His goodness, realize it's too late for that because He's already given it to you? <laughs> if that's the case, how will you now approach Him if you're in sin? I come and I say, Lord, thank you. I have an advocate that in my time of need, you're going to bring me help, not because of anything I've done, but because of everything Jesus did on the cross. How does that make you feel about the God that you serve and that you love? I don't know about you, but it makes me love him even more. So why don't you stand? So Jesus, we love you this morning. Lord, you were the perfect atoning sacrifice. Lord, when I forgot my wallet, you covered me, not once or twice. Like you told Peter, 70 times 7, that's where forgiveness comes. And Lord, you challenge us to grow up and become mature in all the things of you. You teach us in grace to say no to sin. But Lord, you never ever, ever remove your love from us. And so, Lord, help us to see that all of the wrath that you had for sin, rightfully so, was spent on Jesus, and you have none left for me. Teach us to know what that means and to live it out. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. If you need prayer uh, about anything I've preached or something else, we'd love to pray with you up. Our ministry team will be up here to pray with you. If you're online, just connect with us online, and we'd love to, to help you and pray for you as well. We love you guys. Have a wonderful week.